This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of It's a Fandom Thing. Today, I'm honored to be virtually sitting down with author Denisha Smith, who has written a new novel titled The Prince that is a modern retelling of The Golden Bowl by Henry James. Denisha is the author of four previous novels, including The Illusionist, which was a New York Times notable book of the year, and her short stories have been published in numerous magazines. For 11 years, she was a reporter at The New York Times, where she wrote on literary topics and intellectual trends. Smith has won many awards for her writing, including Fellowships from the National Endowment of the Arts, the Ingram Merrill Foundation, the McDowell Colony, and the Breadloaf Writers Conference. Her new novel, The Prince, tells the story about the Woodford family, who has a grand mansion on the Upper East Side of New York, and their mag- a magical private island in Long Island Sound. But there is tension in the air. Federico, a penniless Italian prince who is about to marry Emily Woodford, the only child of the family's widowed patriarch, Henry, enters the scene. When Emily's beautiful, enigmatic childhood friend, Christina, appears on the scene as a guest at their wedding, trouble begins, for she and the prince once had a passionate affair. Henry, however, is also enchanted by Christina. Now both Emily and her father must face a new reality and learn whom they can or cannot trust. So, Denisha, I'm so honored to be sitting down with you virtually (laughs) and talking to you about your brand new novel. So if you want to just give a little brief introduction, if there's anything else that you wanted to add to that. And then also, since this is a retelling of The Golden Bowl by Henry James, I want to know what it was about that story that um, intrigued you and made you want to retell it. The novel, I see The Prince as being a novel about family secrets and how this very wealthy family copes with these actually rather terrible secrets. What are they going to do about them? First, how are they going to become aware of them? And then what will the solution be? That was the thing that one of the things that attracted me to this story. The other thing is Henry James' novel, which is much written in a very much different style, much more complicated, is, you know, a great novel about secrets. And I was fascinated by that world. And then I wondered what would happen if I took this story into the well, 22nd century now, how would that play out? 
What does wealth mean? What do family secrets mean? What does illicit love mean? Is it the same meaning? So that's sort of how I began the novel. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure that that presented many, many challenges, especially like you said, that like you're updating it and, and telling it in, in present day. So I'm sure that was a challenge as well as probably wanting to be able to honor the original uh, while also making the story your own. So were there times where you ever questioned yourself about taking this on or? Definitely. The re one of the reasons I question myself, I'm a lover of Henry James, but why am I doing this? Because this is a transcendently, his novel, beautiful novel. And the other thing in writing The Prince was I thought I would be compared to this great, great author, Henry James, inevitably. So that certainly gave me um, some hesitation. But one of the things I had to do during the, let's say, year it took me to write this, it was, by the way, the shortest period of time ever that I spent on any of my five novels, was I loved spending time with James, being enveloped in his world. And I still to this day don't know how to answer the question other than I wanted to spend time with James. The novel as written by Henry James is very mysterious, very difficult to read, which we can talk about. Though I read it as poetry and I just take key words and find the truth. So in my novel, again, the challenge was to try to sell tell it in what we call ordinary English. Updating it was also a challenge. One of the things that's interesting is the wealth in this family. Mm -hmm. In this country, there are numbers of people who carry the legacy and the wealth of the robber barons at the turn of the 20th century. Those people who built America, they built the railroads, they built the steel plants, they own the mines. Now their descendants in this century are reaping the benefits of this wealth. And it's quite common. The Rockefeller family would be um, an example. Uh, you look around and if there are many families that aren't well known, they keep their wealth private, but they exist. So I was interested in how this wealth played out. Now you have a generation of educated people. Are they guilty about the origins? So I was interested in that question. You're talking about how to bring it into the contemporary world. Mm -hmm. And um, in an era where we probably have what we call, I don't want to say looser moral standards, but broader, more flexible, would this, how would this work in this I haven't yet said the intrigue that happens, but how would this work in this century? Mm -hmm. What happens in this century, by the way, to royalty, European royalty? In The Prince, it's a traditional marriage. At the turn of the century, again, with amongst the robber barons, American wealth married into these impoverished aristocrats. And... They, the aristocrats, 
gain, especially England and in, in Italy, they gained wealth. And these rubber baron families gained the cachet of royalty. They were renamed princess or, you know, countess. And so, but then into the 21st century or the 22nd century, there are quite a few people with titles running around Europe, especially. And what does that mean now? What, who are these people? What are they doing? I was, in, which is further along than um, the, the royalty that we, that Henry James described. So those were some of the interesting things to me that happened in the Prince. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that because, you know, I, I, money and status, like you said, I think it, it can be different nowadays and the way we might view that or the way people with money and says, especially if it's old money, as opposed to people that are just new, newly wealthy. And also, of course, with Federico, with, with, with him being a prince, but yet he's not wealthy and he, and it's like, it's a status symbol, but at the same time, it seems like um, in the novel, I mean, he's like struggling to take care of his mom when he's, when he's in Italy and he's struggling with how to best help her and he's marrying into wealth, but he's not, at least not the way I took it. He's not doing it for money. He's doing it for love, but also I think security in a way, but he's not doing it as like a gold digging kind of thing. And so I thought that was an interesting approach. So do you, I mean, you already kind of answered that about how the importance of status has sort of changed, but is there another way that it sort of changed, especially with the status of also someone having that title of prince but it not meaning much as far as like wealth goes. Okay, let's address the title. Mm -hmm. In the modern world, I think the title Prince still resonates, especially in America. The notion of Prince, we know, for example, I discovered in my research, there is actually an Italian Prince who ran a food cart in Los Angeles. There are Italian, yes, isn't that wonderful? There's an, there are Italian princes who are professors, who are, you know, earn a living in a normal executives in corporations. There's still a cachet to the title. But of course, whatever fortunes these people had, with, in Italy, there was um, a huge tax imposed on the estates of these, this royalty. Although the titles, I should add, are not recognized. Um, but I think for Americans, there's still cachet. Americans, in, in Italy, I envision that titled people probably go to very good elite schools with very wealthy people who don't have titles, and that it's not the same as it was. But my prince, he, as you point out, he's not just greedy for money. He's worried about his mother, but he also is very unsure of who he is as a person. He's tried things. He wanted to have, you know, a sort of rap group in, in Rome. He, he worked as a, he was imported to the U.S. by an Italian bank as a sort of decoration to draw people in. He hates it. He, he doesn't understand the stock market. The idea was to, you know, be able to introduce him in meetings. So part of it is he doesn't really know who he is. 
he was very loved as a child, but he felt he couldn't fulfill these expectations. So he comes, he meets this sweet young girl, Emily, in Rome. She's American. She's lovely. And he, you know, he marries her, hoping that these things will be solved. And he loves her until, until his old girlfriend arrives, which is what seems to happen. Yes, yes, which throws a, a wrench in everything, like instantly. I mean, yes. the way the way you write that when he's talking about even the anticipation of seeing Christina when he learns by Jean, who is serving as sort of a surrogate mom to a lot of characters in this story. And Jean is the one who introduced him to Emily and also introduced him to Christina. So it's an interesting thing there. And the second, you know, he finds out that Christina has been invited to the wedding and he never told Emily they used to date, you can sense just reading it, of it's like palpable, the sense of both, I think there's this anticipation in him to see her again, and then also this sense of dread, like he won't be able to control himself if he sees her. You've got it, yes. Yeah. And he, you know, he was passionately in love with Christina. Mm-hmm. girl that shows up as she is very different from Emily the prince when he was a young man younger in Rome wanted to be a musician but was flailing around her independence Christina's independence not to mention her beauty she has you know she has no money this was one reason they couldn't get married but He's very drawn to her. She gives him a kind of definition. She believes in him in a different way from Emily, his wife. And she loved him very much. And he had to, as they say in, in the contemporary world, he had to dump her, you know. But they had a very passionate sexual connection. And I, I loved the idea of how, how would I portray this? Henry James is... Let's talk about Henry James for a minute. Henry James writes about secrets. His language, which this is what we call the late style of Henry James, more difficult perhaps than any of his earlier books. So he he is this secret, all of these moments when he encounters his old girlfriend, the prince, when he is attracted to her, they're hinted at. You infer it from the language of Henry James. I wanted to, as I said, simplify this language. And I was interested in the idea of when I was a kid or a teenager, I'd have a boyfriend. We'd break up and suddenly he would appear. And (laughs) what does that feel like? And um, it was interesting to bring it to an adult, which he is. He's in his 30s. And the prince is you know, he is immediately remembers, not that he's really forgotten, but their, their time in Rome together, their connection. She's tall, mm-hmm. in the Christina, in the um, novel, in The Prince. She's got a kind of strength, and he, you know, she stands out in a crowd, and he can't escape her now. She tries. She doesn't really go after him initially. She flirts with him when she returns. 
they go buy a wedding present for the prince's future wife and it's charged very charged she's kind of she's you know she's angry she's vengeful but in very subtle ways because he broke her heart and now she's come to the wedding of her childhood friend and she is challenging him very subtly but i hope to make that those scenes pregnant as they say to fill them with the longing the unspoken longing but importantly the anger on her her part the effort on his part to keep her away and the way he still finds her irresistible and i thought that that was quite a lot of fun to write about in the prince you know yeah it was it was it was fun to read it was and what i appreciated was you know so often when you are presenting cuz it does sort of present a love triangle and an even bigger love triangle also because of henry being intrigued by christina wow. as well and so what i found interesting though is that you don't you're not painting christina as this villain she is very i think she's suffering from so much hurt and she's so strong and she's had to be so strong her whole life because her mom was you know always getting involved in cults and wasn't always necessarily there for her so she's been so independent her whole life that i don't think she wants to show how truly hurt she was by him so instead she's turning it into this strength and kind of like this ha ha you can't have me but you want me and i know you want me and i'm going to kind of rub it in your face kind of thing is the way but but not in a way that comes off like she's a villain and i appreciated that so were you very intent on doing that was that kind of a thing you wanted to strive to do that's a good point um i think a good novel at least in my terms there really isn't a complete villain i mean in mystery stories perhaps and detective stories but uh, you know nobody is one thing unless they're nuts but everybody has both good and bad it's much more interesting to make her a quite good person although she is really in love with the prince and she has this mother who was irresponsible you know smoked a lot of weed had different men come over and she took care of herself from early on and again her mother loved her but her mother was i don't know if we should use the word weak but she was well certainly kind of a hippie and here is this girl so i you know shakespeare is i'm not shakespeare clearly but in shakespeare that's one of his great attributes as a you know the the great playwright which is that his characters even the bad ones embody some kind of goodness or some attribute that is to which the audience can sympathize richard the 3rd with his humpback he's carrying this the weight of his deformity and so on julius caesar who thought he was going to be a good ruler he he wanted to be although he became a tyrant not a tyrant but you know a a potentate you know he was going to be so i i'm glad you you noticed that i i felt for her i mm -hmm. i thought she was brave and i felt for her with her deep 
passionate love for the prince and the idea that he broke her heart again not because he was evil but i mean he needed money to help care for his mother she, she was widowed but he wasn't formed as a person he knew he wasn't ready for this relationship but when emily comes along with her wealth her sweetness her idealization of him he feels okay this might solve something yeah yeah i mean yeah and it's and i felt for her too i felt i i mean i felt for emily of course too yeah. later on big time i felt for all of the characters honestly i i don't think of any character in this novel as being better than each other they all they're human like you said everybody has their bad sides and their good sides and their struggles and things they do and i and i'm sure for christina because here's emily like you said she's so sweet you had a line in here that she has willful ignorance which i thought was just such an interesting way to describe her where it's like you know she's so sweet she comes from money she doesn't really she doesn't flaunt that at all Yet she still doesn't, I don't think, lives in the same world, of course, as Federico and Christina, of course, doesn't live in that same world. So it must have been hard, though, for Christina to see someone who's like basically the opposite of her being the one that he marries and wants to start a family with when that's all she ever wanted from him. So it was an interesting dynamic to add there where you can feel that pain. And then, of course, with, with Emily's pain. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit with the with that line that 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 willful ignorance. It was it just so stuck out to me. I wrote it down the second I read that part. And and a lot of that presents with her relationship with her father because they are they're kind of codependent. I think a lot of that comes from the fact of course that her mom passed away died from cancer and I think Emily feels a responsibility. So why do you think she you know is kind of in that ignorance and in that innocence and hides behind that and is so intermeshed with her father, so to speak. Well, I, I love to talk about that because part of the trajectory of the novel is the change in Emily. Okay, why is she like that? Initially, Emily grew up in such wealth that she was, in a way, out of touch with the ordinary world. She's actually very smart but she grew up in an environment where you don't show your intellectual capacities. She was educated, but she almost had to hide this, um, not from her father, but from the, the friends and the community of wealth. So willful ignorance, um, I read a quote by the author, John Bailey, writing about this novel. And he, I can't remember the exact wording, but he said, Love is essentially a willed ignorance, you know. <laughs> love someone you just don't want to see their fault. Okay, so she is so cushioned, and Maggie, um, Christina was Emily. Maggie is the name of the character in 
Henry James, sometimes I must tell you, I fuse them, and so forgive me. Emily and Christina were childhood friends. Her family almost adopted Christina, you know, because Christina's family was not, you know, functional in the way they went riding horseback. They were, he, she loved her friend, and Emily's growth is important to the novel because she, as she has this dawning awareness of this affair between her old friend and her husband, it's terrifying, you know, to be forced to know, terrifying. And when it gets more complicated, when her father marries her childhood friend and continues this affair, it's just awful. You know, she, it, she doesn't at first define it, but she has this visceral awareness, which would happen. And the novel, you know, in the end of, well, towards the end of the novel, Emily takes charge of their fate. And in a way, the novel is about Emily's loss of innocence, about growing up, dealing with the world. Although unfortunately what she has to deal with is just terrible. And so that's a trajectory from being this sheltered, sweet, innocent girl to becoming a woman. And what she does, which we can describe later, I don't want to give away the total. Totally. Yeah, don't give it. You don't want to give it all away. I was going to say, you don't want to give the whole thing away. <laughs> he and her father do. And I believe he is also involved in this, is sort of a monstrous punishment. Um, for them. And I will, I guess I should stop as I get towards the ending. But it's all about, it, part of it is about Emily's growth into becoming a woman. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally, totally. Watching her change was so interesting. It was, I think it was one of the most interesting aspects of the story because, you know, she could come off as really too, too, too innocent, I guess is the word I'm looking for, but, but, but the fact that it's, there's some complexity there that happens. And when she has to grow up through pain, I mean, it is something very painful that she realizes and yeah, it's, and watching the way she handles it and the way her father handles it is very interesting dynamic there between them. Yeah. And, and the father is great too. I, I do want to say, I think it's very interesting in this novel that even though money is a big part of it, it's, uh, you know, Henry never like flaunts his wealth. I mean, he uses it. He helps a lot of people that are very poor, um, struggling. So I, I wanted to just ask about that really quickly because I, I know we've already talked a little bit about the, about the wealth, but how important was it for you to make sure that Henry was also painted as somebody who wasn't going to flaunt his wealth, but understood the power it could bring. That was very important. My observation of American wealth, there's a new kind of American wealth. You know, you're going to have to wonder what Mark Zuckerberg's daughters will think when they're 25, 26, and they assess their background. What will they think about the scandals of Facebook right now, or you know, Bill Gates, what will his children think? Not that he 
necessarily did anything villainous, but he deployed this enormous power. So, okay. So Henry is a couple of generations removed from this Robert Baron. I describe in the novel what I thought was a typical, uh, you know, the typical development of these Robert Barons. They were unbelievably cruel to their workers. The workers were usually working six and a half days, many hours, and with half a day off Sunday to go to church. It was not uncommon. Okay, so Henry, I've observed, for example, among the Rockefeller families, I don't know them personally, but I know of a woman who is extremely political. She is very involved in environmental uh, causes. I know of another Rockefeller, I guess, unfortunately, he was killed in a plane crash, but he became a doctor. You know, these people try to do good things. And that was how I saw Henry at this point. Good-hearted, not quite abandoning the trappings of wealth, not living in a trailer. The trappings of wealth are just almost, he can't separate himself. You know, he, he, it's there. So I felt that, I say in the novel, Henry was ashamed of the, his antecedents. And if you recall, he is turning the old family mansion in this forlorn town that that family created and wrecked. He's turning this old mansion into an art museum which is not uncommon. If you look at the history of the Vanderbilts, they tended to collect art and then they would put it into a museum. And he thinks this will help this town create a tourist destination. He's using some of the great art that his grandmother imported from Europe. In that era, the second generation, they began to collect art. And a lot of the art, the earlier, art that arrived from Europe in an early period in the, you know, late, say, uh, 40s, late 40s after the war, came from the robber barons, especially the women, buying the art from these impoverished aristocrats and bringing it to the United States. So that trajectory was fascinating to me. I don't know if that answers your question, but I thought this, this you know, trajectory was interesting yeah no it does yeah and it's it's very interesting and of course um the character Jean, she is helping to curate art pieces and helping him with that pro with that as well helping to find certain pieces and and like i said she serves as a surrogate parent to many in this story and of course it, it's explained that she wasn't able to have children and always desperately wanted to so how do you think she feels because she understands what's happening with the with Christina and everything and how do you think she feels as far as since she introduced Federico to both of these women and also Henry she's very very attached to Henry so do you think she feels guilt within this story Absolutely and mm -hmm. her relationship to this is very complex she's pretty well off herself her husband is a retired you know stockbroker and she, she needs these young people. She doesn't have kids. In the novel, in Henry James' novel, there's a similar character, Mrs. Assingham, who arranges all this. She's kind of a mother hen. 
I think Jean Gavron, she makes some money from Henry as his art consultant um, in the novel, in The Prince. She loves the art. She has a familial sense of Henry or of his family. So, but at the same time, she's dependent on Henry in The Prince for, for her wealth and for most importantly, her success as an art advisor. So she's complex in my, I hope, I think. And yeah. so she is guilty and she doesn't know what to do with this guilt because if she tells her patron, Henry, what's going on, the consequences will blow apart their world, the, the world of, of the Woodfords. And if she tells Emily what she knows, she'll break Emily's heart. Emily will be devastated. Emily has to, in The Prince, learn about or sense this illicit affair. And she, in a, she does it slowly by instinct, and then it comes clear. But this slowness also, I think, protects her a little or enables her to gather her power, her force of, you know, of character to deal with it. There you are. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, of course, there's a lot of dealing with secrets and everybody's keeping secrets from each other and from themselves too, I think, um, not being honest with themselves. Yes. Yeah. Which is, which is very heartbreaking throughout because I don't, there were some times where I just kind of felt like, oh, I just wish everyone could just sit down and be open with each other and really talk about it because you know, even when things are coming out, they're not exactly coming out. Like everyone's talking around um, the subject, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of a, there's a lot about heartbreak in here and regrets, of course. And I mean, even with music and wanting to be an artist and, and regrets if you're not, you know, following that, or if you don't feel like you're doing that. So do you think everybody in here has their own regrets and they're trying to deal with that or come to terms with it? Or do you think they're just kind of hiding behind some of the secrets and not wanting to deal with those regrets? I think there's deep guilt about this affair, but let me step back in the prints. Let me just remember, please, the question you were about to ask me about guilt. What revealing secrets, what would the consequences have been if the two women or the prince were to openly state these secrets? I think it would have been impossible for the family to solve this terrible, terrible problem. I think the only way they could solve it and preserve themselves was to not acknowledge it in the sense of, as you say, what about a family meeting where Christina says, well, I've been having an affair with your husband. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't mind my <laughs> husband. You know, I think that would have been impossible. And I think there must be families. I think many families have a secret. And sometimes there are terrible secrets. There's the knowledge on the part of the children that maybe one of their 
parents had an affair. Certainly in my family, there were secrets. How do you deal with them? Do you say openly, you know, dad, I know you were having an affair with Mrs. Jones, or do you hope that there's some way it can be resolved in regard to your mother, your dad's wife? Without, you, you know, I don't think declaring the secret in its completeness is always a good idea. I want to just qualify that. We, this is a little off the track, but in cases of sexual abuse, which are, it's, I, I think probably that has to be confronted mm -hmm. because there is a criminal in here. Whereas other kinds of secrets, maybe not. I just, I think it obviously depends on the individual. In the prince, I think the only way it can be solved is not acknowledging it but acting on it, which is what happens in a very, again, not stated way. I've mentioned that I think the solution is monstrous, but it's what's powerful, I think, in Henry James' novel, and I hope in my novel, is the way the solution is monstrous and never presented as a solution. We're going to solve this problem of my father having the affair with my girlfriend who's or married to my girlfriend who is having an affair with my husband. I think this was the only way it could be done in The Prince and in, in Henry James' original novel. And that fascinates me. That fascinates me. Yeah, I know no, that 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 totally makes sense because I think there are times when it's almost kinder to not not spill it all, I guess, is the way or because because, yeah, what you're saying, I mean, if they were to have a family meeting that I mean, that would just be a disaster. <laughs> in that case, in the case of the prince and in the golden bowl, it's original, the original novel that it couldn't have been solved with, you know, sort of a declaration. So I took that from Henry James and I took that from, you know, the golden bowl. And I worked it through in my own novel. And I, again, that fascinated me. Yeah, and you did a great job. I mean, it's re really because I wasn't positive what was going to happen in the end. Right. And I think that it, the way it was written was so, so beautiful. I like the fact that you earlier when you were talking about Henry James mentioned poetry and poetic because I think there's some poetry in here as well with the way it's written like i if i can see a novel when i'm reading it and picture it like almost like a movie that to me is like the best novels and i could picture all of this like i had in i mean and it might not have been exactly what you had pictured when you wrote it but i could picture the characters in my head so just i just wanted to applaud you for that so i like to write that way yeah. um i hope the prince as you say i hope it's there my background is as a filmmaker, but I was a filmmaker who always wanted to write novels. So the visual sense that I have, I hope it was in the prints, setting the scene and you know, feeling it the scene in a visceral sense was, I hope it's there and I, I wanted it to be there. It is. It definitely is. I can I can tell that you have worked in that in that visual medium as well, then, because it's definitely there, which I really appreciated. 
so I wanted to know, do you think that Federico is truly happy in America or will, or is he growing to be more happy in America, I should say, or will he always long to go home? I think he, I don't think that's what drives him. I don't, I'm not sure he would refuse to go home. I think in the Henry James novel, which I'm beginning to forget because I'm thinking only of my own novel. I think he goes back to Rome in the Golden Bowl. But I don't see that as what's driving him. I see him as drifting a little bit, that he takes him where fate determines where he will go. That is, he's got to have some money, so he takes a job in New York. He, he just thinks, okay, I'm going to get some money. But I don't think he is driven by his own impulses as much as by his instincts or his, he, fate pushes him around. Yeah, that's what I think in my, at least in The Prince, in my novel, and I think in, in the original Henry James novel, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's almost, and, and also it seems to me that he always, that he also likes to give up his uh, his power, his control, and almost wants other people to almost make his decisions for him uh, in a way. Very good insight. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I, I I think, I haven't thought of that, but I think that is part of the prince for his of his character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I just want to know, um, I'm curious, and not to give away too much, but do you think, do you think Emily still loves him and do you think henry still loves christina i definitely think emily loves federico the prince because she's willing to do the most amazing things to keep him i think she's probably in some kind of sexual thrall to him you know he's a good looking guy and all this he's exotic to her as an italian henry this is a fascinating question. At first, Henry is very attracted to the beautiful Christina. He has, he's devastated by the loss of his wife. He's gone for several years without a real relationship and devoted to his daughter. Along comes this very lovely woman and probably at the right time. I think he does love her in the beginning especially. He's so gratified, he's renewed by this relationship with this much younger woman. Does he love her at the end? Well, I'll tell you, I think he's almost a Jove-like character, a God-like character with a small g, that what he does doesn't necessarily happen because he loves her so much. It happens to some extent, to save his daughter and her marriage. I, I think he's, it, it, he's a very big character. He is by no means perfect, but he can encompass having a wife, Christina, who has had an affair, although it's never stated. He takes her, basically, and I think one of his impulses is to preserve the marriage of his beloved child, his now grown woman. I think it's part of that. And, and he's, he has a real sense of his power. He knows he is the power in the family. 
and in the prince too. Yeah. Yeah. And also his granddaughter, Isabella, who he's just devoted to too. Exactly. Yeah. He he is thinking, I can't take Isabella's father away. I can't let my daughter be heartbroken. The interesting question is why Emily takes him back. You know, I mean, that's a very hard one. You know, she realizes she loves him. He is the father of her child. And it's interesting to me that in the Golden Bowl and in the Prince, um, she is willing to take him back. And it's quite a thing, quite a, a gesture, quite a resolution. So. Well, and it goes to the way humans are anyway. We're not, it's not just black and white. When an affair happens, it doesn't always mean something. It's going to end the relationship. You know, it depends on the people involved and everything, I think. So. Yes, it does. Yeah. Because I'm, of course, people take back an old lover who's betrayed them. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, this is more complex because they're married and because it's, the guy had the affair with, <laughs> with her father's wife yeah. <laughs> it's a little more complex but how the, how do you solve such a terrible terrible problem and the very end of the novel i'm going to have to leave it up to readers to to learn but there is a solution we may not agree with it but mm -hmm. Prince, there is anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Thank you so much, really. And I really, really enjoyed reading this novel. I, I want to say, um, it was one of those, you know, once again, where, like, like I said, I could picture everything, but I also wanted to keep reading, like, you know, one of those where you're like, okay, I, I have some other place I'm supposed to be, but I want to keep reading, and, and so it's a page turner, and it's, uh, you've developed all these characters very well, and. So a really, really great job. Really great Thank novel. You, Karen. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Really. Very wonderful. And you too. Okay. Is there anything else that you have to promote or is there anywhere where people can find you? I'll, of course, have a link to the novel if there's a website or anywhere. I do have a website um, with information about the novel, some of the wonderful comments, advanced comments that I got, which were unexpected and a joy one of them was from a guy an author known as lee child he writes thrillers he sells a book every 10 seconds i met him about five years ago i haven't seen him for a long time but he's a very well educated englishman and i had an instinct that he might have a whole what we would call literary side. So I sent him the novel. He he loved it and gave me a lovely comment. But um, and he also knows Henry James. You would not expect it from reading his novels, from reading the Reacher novels, which are actually kind of brilliant. And my publisher was obviously very pleased because you know again he sells a book every ten seconds, but they decided to put this lovely word of praise from Lee Child on the cover. And so I'm thinking people are going to look at this novel and think it's sort of a Reacher novel, but it, it is a mystery. It you is. like it. So anyway, it's great. 
Yeah, it is. There is a mystery in it. There is some thrilling aspects to it. It's not like a murder mystery or anything, but there are mysteries in it. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's what he said. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. And like I said, I will put a link in the show notes for everybody listening. You can just click on that link and learn more. And I highly, highly recommend The Prince. So please go out and check it out now. So thank you again so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I grew to appreciate the novel even more. So thank you. Thank you, Erin. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you. This is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at eAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you would like to be a potential interview guest, please feel free to reach out to the show at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. Okay, on the next episode, we are going to be wrapping up our celebration of Black History Month with a discussion about the sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And if you've listened to any of our recent episodes, you know that my opinion on this show, it's been, you know, it's been interesting to watch a show from that time in a 2022 lens so that'll be a great conversation so until next time remember it's a fandom thing black lives matter and stop asian hate everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.